Looking for practical information to help you make decisions about your diagnosis, whether DCIS, early or metastatic breast cancer? BCNA's My Journey features articles, webcasts, videos and podcasts about breast cancer during treatment and beyond to help you, your friends and family as you progress through your journey. It also features a symptom tracker to help you manage the changing symptoms you may encounter during your own breast cancer experience. My Journey. Download the app or sign up online at myjourney.org.au. Let's be upfront about telling your children that you have cancer. No matter what their age, a parent's natural instinct is to want to protect their child. Telling them you have cancer is not an easy thing to do. When do you tell them? How much do they need to know? If you have young children, is it easier not to tell them? Joining us is John Friedson from Canteen Australia, an organisation that is well known as a support group for children living with cancer, but in fact Canteen also provides support to adults with a cancer diagnosis and their children. John specialises in psycho-oncology and will share his thoughts on age-appropriate discussions and the importance of communication with your children. Anita Ledger also joins us. Anita was diagnosed with early breast cancer a year ago and she's going to take us through how she told her two children the impact that it had on them and what worked for her family. Welcome to you both. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. John, where does the conversation start? Well, at the beginning. um, Even... Even though it's hard, um, you know, if you try to put the lens on from a young person's perspective, from that very first time that you might have a little behavioral shift, that very first time you get the diagnosis information, the kids are like little barometers and even down to the youngest of ages, they'll pick up something that's not quite right. And so they'll start to wonder what it is if they don't know what it is. So the earlier the better. one of the hard parts is if a parent's feeling really overwhelmed at first. So trying to get support around how do I break the ice with the kids, I would definitely recommend that. So if you're feeling really overwhelmed, where do you call in the cavalry, get some support, talk to a social worker at the hospital, talk to the nurse, uh, give Cantina a call, call Cancer Council Helpline, um, call the Breast Cancer Network Helpline to try to brainstorm strategies on how to let the children know. But if I could encourage everyone to say, look, the, the earlier that we can try to get the communication there, the easier it then is to continue the conversation. So it's, is it a one-off event? Do we sit the children down and we'll get to breaking down the age-appropriate discussions, but do you sit them down and just tell them straight out or do we deliver it in a soft sort of form? I've seen some guidance in the family communication literature around trying not to sit down and have just the whole family at the table and have that type of discussion. It may be helpful to customize it to each of your kids. So if a parent were to ask me that question, I would say, first, let's take a step back and let me, let me understand your unique relationship with each of your children. What are your communication strengths with each of them? You might have a 17-year-old that just grunts at you and you don't really talk about stuff. You could have a 12-year-old that talks to you quite a bit. And so I'd be looking to harness what what strengths do you have? Because even with the most non-communicative of adolescents, there's some in, generally, there's some in. And so it's like, let's look and see if we can build on that in. There's a strength you have in that communication channel and let's find a way to introduce cancer through what works well for that child. And it might be different for all three of them or all two of them or 
if you have four kids, it may be a different strategy for each. So I'd look to harness, harness your own expertise. Anita, you have two children. They were 10 and 13 when you were diagnosed. Do you remember when you were first diagnosed, was your first thought to how is this going to affect my children? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think everyone's cancer journey is very, very different. Um, And your diagnosis and everything that sort of follows within that first 24 hours, everything happens so quickly. Um, I was... Um, I had a mammogram and ultrasound on a Tuesday afternoon and I came home and told my husband, I hadn't been diagnosed at that point, um, but within an hour of coming home, I'd mentioned to my husband that um, about the ultrasound um, and then within half an hour, I was called by my GP to come in and see her straight away. Um, unbeknownst to me, not my daughter had overheard us talking about an ultrasound and had gone upstairs and asked her brother, what an ultrasound was. They Googled it together. She instantly thought that I was pregnant. Um, yeah. Yeah. And a joyous quite occasion. Excited, <laughs> quite, quite excited. Um, and my son happened to read on rather quickly and um, closed the phone down and just sort of said to her, don't Google this again. Um, he um, obviously had seen, you know, things about cancer. Um, and, and he also had... He's had experience with and cancer. And he's had experience. So his best mate, mum, had, has gone, had been the last three years gone through, through um, breast cancer um, and he had, you know, seen the struggles of that and, and you know, what, what she had been going through. So he went off to basketball practice that, that night and actually went to his mate and said, have, did your mum ever have an ultrasound? And he connected it together straight away. So I actually wasn't in a situation of having to tell my children. He actually confronted me first. Which, is, John, it's exactly what you just said about even before you've said something, when you decide that you're going to, you know, announce it, so to speak, they've already started picking up and you wouldn't have expected your daughter to have thought ultrasound, let me go and ask my brother. So what's the message there? And 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 my, this all happened for me very quickly. Like I had, my husband and I had planned on telling the children straight away, and we didn't want to keep anything from them. But I think they, before we could even put a plan in place, had already figured something was was wrong. Yeah. And that's the power of Doctor Google. Like, yeah. and that's the information age. I mean. Young people in school now, as, as early as grade three, sometimes in grade two, they're getting assignments online. So the proficiency of using, you know, handheld devices, but also actually using search engines to search for stuff for school projects, they're starting to figure that out. So Dr. Google can find a lot of good stuff, and it can also find a lot of bad stuff. So that that early um, that early communication pathway from parents is so important so that we can help them find the right information and information that is digestible you know and age appropriate for them um, it's amazing um, Anita when I'm hearing your story it reminds me um, several years ago when we uh, working on a project called talking to kids about cancer project I stumbled upon this book by accident by CS Lewis um, 
uh, surprised by joy. And it was like on page 17, and it was like two weeks before I was doing a presentation on it. And he was writing about his experience when he was seven, and that would have been in like 1906 or something like that, um, when he was a, a young lad and he had an older brother who was probably about 12 or 13. And they, he was describing the doctors coming to the house because the doctors came, the sinister whispered conversations he heard through the wall, um, the, all the comings and goings, and nobody told them what it was. But he just knew that his mother wasn't coming to him. And so he couldn't understand why she wasn't. He was worried. He knew something was wrong, but he was really worried. But also, he wanted to be colored because he was worried. And he explained it so beautifully. I mean, that I always think of that sinister whispered conversations because the walls are only so thick. The tele when the telephone's ringing more and the walls are thin or the door's slightly ajar and you think the kids can't hear you, they hear you and then bang, they're on their phone. Yeah, hitting. you think you're talking in code. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and in actual fact, yeah. they're, they're picking up everything. So, and like you were saying, if you've got an adult, you're thinking, protect the kids, protect the kids, I'm not going to worry them. But with hearing snippets, they're likely to be making a, a situation a whole lot worse because they're only hearing bits and they're making their own sort of assumptions. So the message there is you can never not tell. Even what about if you're not show, going to show signs of, you know, visible side effects? So if you're having a lumpectomy and you don't need chemo, so to speak, where you're going to show, you know, hair loss, can you ever get away with not telling? Um, I would argue that the answer is no. Um, just because something will be different, there may be three weeks. It might only be three weeks that you can't drive the soccer carpool or you can't pick up and drop off at school or you can't um, do uh, movie night or you're not sitting down and doing Netflix the way you've normally done. So there's going to be little behavioral changes. And so if, if the kids are on the younger end, they might be thinking, did I do something wrong or have I been naughty and I'm being punished? Or they'll start to just conjure and think about, hey, what's what's going on here? Why has this changed? So there's whether we like to admit it or not, when something big like cancer comes into our world, even if it's early stage diagnosis and treatment looks like it's going to go really well, the kids are going to pick up on something. Um, and then in a the case where the kids are a little bit older, nine and was it 13? Nine and 13. They're, that's Google age. So they'll probably hear some word or overhear a phone call when you're talking to your mom or your dad or your brother or sister on the phone. They'll overhear something and they'll start Googling it. And so one, one way we can try to help to inform them about how to, adjust, how to adjust to it is if they know how to adjust to it. And it's really clear in our research that young people just want to know the truth. So all the way from 12 to 25, they're like, just tell me. Just tell me what it is. So they can handle the truth? Yep. And they can handle it. And that's as a general rule of thumb. I mean, this is, uh, there might be one out of 100 kids are like, I don't want to know. But when we ask them anonymously in surveys, um, they say, please tell me. Please tell me truthfully. Anita, you made that decision to tell your kids the truth and mm -hmm. to be upfront. Can you share with us why you decided that? Um, I think for the, the the reasons that John has said is that they were they were they're so intuitive they were going to pick up that something was wrong anyway. Um, I wasn't sick. Um, I had surgery, um, and the the only time that I became sick was when I had to go through chemo. 
Um, but yeah, I just think that you know we just wanted to be open and and honest with them. Um, you know, was your decision to do that influenced by your son's friend's mum who'd had cancer? Yeah, so I had um, contacted my friend, son's friend's mum the night that I was diagnosed and um, just to get you know some immediate advice from someone because I didn't really know anyone else that had been through this and her one her, she gave me two pieces of advice and one of them was just be open and, and honest with with the kids because it was something that she hadn't done straight away when she was diagnosed and she found that her kids were going through her phone trying to find some answers to questions that they because they knew that something was wrong mm. um, so yeah, so it was really important for us to to also be able to have the children talk to us, you know, ab- about the experience that I was that I was going through, and and you know we couldn't really comfort them in any way by telling them I was going to be okay because we didn't, you know, you, you don't really know. But I think that we can just make my goal during this journey was to make them feel like everything was just normal and I tried to be at every one of their activities and we just kept everything not as normal as possible. I went to work, um, you know, of course during chemo there were days where I was pretty low and, and unwell but yeah, we just we just kept, you know, m- moving through that and try, just tried to keep all of our routines and everything at home and that was pretty clear that they were fine with that because, you know, they were still annoying each other and behaving badly at home and, you know, they, they didn't make a pack together to go and pick up laundry and, yeah. and yeah. do the dishwasher yeah. so everything yeah. ran as normal as possible. Yeah. Yeah. We, we often call that handing back the vacuum cleaner when, you know, after that initial sort of flurry of, you know, sympathy and wanting to help. They're like, yep, here you go. Here's your vacuum cleaner back, Mum, after you've finished. And that was important for me. I yes. didn't want yeah. them to be, have, you know, feeling sorry for me or, you know, like we just had to, to deal with it. John, it must be a parent's natural thing to say, it's going to be fine. It's, it's all going to be fine, even if it's not or even if you don't know. Is that a, a mistake you don't want to make, saying everything will be fine? Um, yeah, I would... Uh, Look, and, and you, everything might be fine, but to to approach it as a process, um, it's really scary and that's a knee-jerk reaction and that's just a very normal cultural phenomenon where we're going, oh, it'll be fine, it'll be fine. And so how do we, um, you know, I would just try to explain factually what's happening. Depends on the age of the children. It's, it's difficult when they're – how do you explain something to a very little one as opposed to an R-age demographic um, 12 to 25s, and it's even slightly, uh, it even kind of morph it a little bit more to the over 18s. But, you know, say, so look, things look like they're going to go well. The prognosis is good. The doctors feel confident that they can, they'll remove the cancer with a lumpectomy. I might have to have some follow-up radiotherapy. I might have to have some follow-up chemotherapy. But when we know the facts, we'll let you know. And so that's a slightly different way of saying, Yes. It'll be fine. But explaining to them, you don't have to give them a, a PhD dissertation on all things cancer. It's just, okay, yep, okay, you've been diagnosed. Yep, you're going to have the surgery. Yep, and you might have these treatments, but you don't know that yet, and I'll come back to you on that. Great, thank you. If you have any questions, you can always ask me. You open that door to communication, and away they go. Okay. Perhaps we can break it down briefly into some age-appropriate um, tools. Okay, so for perhaps the under 10s, yeah. 
what's the best way to approach? So we've already ruled out that you can't get away with not. You, you need to do something. Is it about taking them on a tour of the hospital? Do they need to know that? How much do they need to know? Depends on the approach you're going to have. So look, overall, I think trying to explain how it might impact their life um, for under 10s. If it means that you're not going to do school, drop off and pick up, it can be helpful to understand why you're not going to be doing that. They might not understand, you don't, again, you don't have to give them a full medical explanation of what cancer is and what tumors do and all of those things. Some kids might be really curious about that and you can find books to help them do that. But just to explain that, um, that you've been diagnosed with disease, it's called cancer, this is what the doctors are thinking, um, and we're in very good hands, so bringing confidence in the medical team, we're doing everything we can, and if you have a good prognosis, to say the doctors are really confident if we have a good prognosis, if the prognosis is poor, that can be another conversation, um, but we'll, we'll cover that one later maybe. Um, and, um, and then how it might impact them. So it's all about, you know, I won't be able to drive to and from school. Or pick or, you up. Pick you up. Yeah, I can't pick you up from school. I can't take you to sport. Um, so just, and that's why. It's not because you've been naughty. It's not because, and I'm, it's not, it's not because of anything you've done. It's just because with cancer, it's going to change the way things are going. Yeah, yeah. What about the next age group? Because they're far more like we know, Google age, yeah. and uh, they're more articulate, and they can pick up on signs. And of course, Anita, your children fall into this age group. John, what are some of the? Do we alter the approach a little bit, say, for the ten to to seventeens? Look, it's actually. It's fairly similar. Again, very narcissistic age range. How's it going to impact my life? Trying to trying to understand and empathize with the impact on, on your child's life. That can be a really nice tool for a parent to go, I understand this is big for you. So some things that we often miss is acknowledging that it's difficult for the kids. Um, I would really encourage that to come in for this age demographic. Um, but also how it might impact their life um, and but if they were curious, if they're very curious around medical stuff, so my daughter's not very curious about medical stuff, but my nieces and nephews, I have one niece who's very curious about medical stuff and now she's in vet school. So I probably would have sat down with medical books with her because she would have been interested in that. So again, it's going back and harnessing my own knowledge and expertise in my child and then trying to figure out how can I communicate this to them? Do they want to know more about the disease or do they just a really short, sharp, quick, quick explanation is all they need. Now, as a general rule of thumb, short and sharp in general is, is, is the way to start because the kids have to process it too. So you've had processing, you've talked to the treatment teams, you've had all of this stuff, you've, you've Googled it yourself, this might be the first time they're hearing it. So introduce it to them, say, look, it's a lot to take in. If you have any questions, the door's always open, you can talk to me. And I would encourage you to come to me um, I can be your port of call because if, if you have a question and I don't know the answer, I can ask my doctor. And then we can work together on finding the answer out. BCNA's Helpline provides a free, confidential phone and email service for people diagnosed with breast cancer. BCNA's experienced team will help with your questions and concerns and provide relevant resources and services. Call 1800 500 258 or email contact at bcna.org.au. Anita, your two children handled the news and the 
ongoing process quite differently, didn't they? That, yeah, they did. So my, my daughter was sort of nine going on 10 at the time. Um, she, I received the um, breast cancer, my journey kit. And in that kit comes a comic book that is based around superheroes sort of fighting cancer and explains the whole what cancer is and, and, and how it affects you. So she read that and sort of cast it aside and said, oh, I completely get it now and you're going to be fine. Um, whereas my and that was sort of it. Like we, I offered to you know have the conversations with her, and if she ever needed to talk to me, to do so. My son, though, um, he he wanted to. He was more inquisitive. He wanted to understand. He wanted to sort of be there. I think with me. Um, he wanted to come to doctor's appointments. He wanted to come to the hospital the day I was having surgery. Um, all of these things. So. Yeah, I think they, they just sort of handled it um, very, very differently. Um, it wasn't then until I had chemo and I lost my hair that my daughter sort of then started to struggle quite a bit. Um, and I don't think... And it was it was mostly physical appearance. Um, I don't think it was that she thought that I was getting... That I was more sick or, you know, something worse was happening because as soon as I put a scarf or a beanie on, she was absolutely fine. So for her, it was more the physical um, appearance of me not, you know, not having any hair. And was that in public or was that at home too? Well... I would always have my hair covered in public, so she was absolutely fine with that. Um, but if ever at home I didn't have any covering on my head and I went up to her room, she would instantly cover her eyes and just not want to, to see that. Is that quite common, John? I've heard that from many families. So anecdotally, my experience tells me, yeah. Um, and, and I've also worked with a lot of families that because other children can see it and it's more common for dads to be bald than mums to be bald. And, so and my in, husband is bald, by the way. Yeah. So she's, <laughs> and he has for her yeah. entire life. So. Yeah. And, um, and so particularly in primary school, children can get teased by their classmates. And so that's where I've worked with schools to go and how we figure this out. It almost kind of feels like bullying's going on because the, the, one student's getting razzed because their mom doesn't have hair, but we know it's because she has cancer. How, help us to explain this to the children in our school environment. And so then that's where, I mean, something, I don't know if we'll get there, but involving the school, the school is on your team. So I don't want to, it would be remiss of me not to put that in here, call, you know, they're part of that group that is, has your children six, seven, eight hours a day, however long they're in school. Um, and they can, they, they're in another set of eyes and ears to see if they're, are they sleeping or not eating? Are they, is their concentration shifted? They can, they'll know if there's something going on with your kids. So I would, if you feel up to it, I would encourage you to have that discussion with the school and include them. Um, and in addition to that, things can come up because if, if your kid doesn't like that you're bald, it could be that other kids might be giving them grief about it going, ah, your mom's bald, you know, like, yeah. cause kids are kids. Um, and so then trying to unpack that and then working with the school on helping, because as soon as almost 99 out of 100 times, as soon as we were going to an education session around cancer and how that some treatments make hair fall out, the children go, oh, my God, and then they support the, chil then they support the children. Oh, so there is, there is a way to flip it. It's, so therefore it's about educating. So would that then extend to, say, if you do a lot of with a sporting club, if you if you're playing, you know your kids are playing basketball or netball three or four times a week or football. So it's not that you want to broadcast it, but it actually there is method in informing 
the people that have contact with your children? Particularly for the, no matter what the age of your child, try to think about life from their lens. From an under 10 year old, it may be the first time they're experiencing this. Like, why has this happened? Where a 17 year old may have experienced one of their, somebody else or a grandparent that's had cancer. So they may have seen somebody becoming bald because of treatment or they may have they may have seen those impacts of treatment um, and so try to think oh, have my kids ever seen this before if they haven't how can I try to help explain this to them so I often try to say let's just go let's put on their shoes for a minute and try to look from their lens and then once once you can figure out their level of fluency then you can adjust what you say to them to pitch it to what they can understand and comprehend so our next age group, which I think is really surprising, is what the 17 to 25s on the cusp and into early adulthood. Evidence has shown that this actually is almost the most vulnerable or highly stressed group. And, and with our research, with our, our 18s to, 18 to 25s, um, they have up to six times the levels of distress of, of uh, reference data. So the Australian Institute of Health and Welfare, um, they do a distress screening with average population um, every couple of years. And we use the same screening tool, it's called the K-10, and our young people that are over 18 are as much as six times more distressed as young people that don't have cancer in their lives. And that's a higher ratio because for the younger ones, it can be up to three times. It's three to six, but it, there's a variance. But the over 18s, it's really high. Um, and so having, having that open and honest communication is also really important. And it's also something that health professionals often underestimate because we think that the older kids are going to adjust better. Um, but the same things looking for the parents to take the lead on opening communication. They're looking for the parents to help them model how to deal with these complex feelings they're feeling. They're looking for parents to take the lead on all of those really tricky things, even the 24-year-olds. So, um, so we have to try to find a way to include them. And it's even trickier when they don't live at home. So if you're a 23 or 24-year-old, you might have to call them on the phone. Or what, what happens if they've moved to London? They've launched that in their post-uni life and they've moved overseas. So a lot of that tension comes in for them because suddenly they're feeling like they have to be drawn back to the house to support younger siblings or to support mom, support dad. Um, and there's that tension that comes in in this emancipation age where they're launching into their own life and also being drawn back to family. It's really surprising because I think you would imagine that as they get past 21 that, well, they're adults, so therefore they can handle it and they're probably more informed. Uh, so it really is almost even more important to have those open lines of communications. You mentioned before that it's, it's not an event, it is a process. Yeah. What is the best way to stop it consuming your lives? The, the best trick that I've ever found for any parent, and this goes for parents that are dealing with um, a really poor prognosis as well as an early stage disease, and I find that it helps. We were doing, we were doing focus groups with, with couples. This is years ago now. This is probably this is the better part of 20 years ago. 
and they're like, oh, this was really helpful for me and my partner, um, is coming up, I call it a communication contract, or come, at, come up with a contract that says, look, it's important that we find time and we have to find time to talk about cancer. Now, most parents, when they think about talking to their kids, particularly in the early stages, they're like, I kind of want to update them, make sure, I want to check in on make sure they're okay every day. And it's like, let's, let's pull back on that because what's really clear what the young people tell us is we need a break and we need time out. So how do we deal with the cancer and how do we also have time out from cancer? And so it's like, what, what's a great way to do that is say once a week, once a fortnight, once a month, whatever it is for you and each of, each of your children, that unique relationship you have with them, say we'll check in on Sunday. Sunday is the special day for that kid. Uh, for that particular child that you have. So Sunday, we'll just have, we don't have to have a huge conversation, but I need to check in with you to see how you're going. I'll give you any updates about the cancer stuff if we have any updates. Um, and you can ask me anything that you feel you need to ask me. And the rest of the week, what we'll do is we'll focus on everyday life stuff. So I'll check in with you about school, girl guides, netball, um, whatever, soccer practice, boyfriends, girlfriends, first job, um, university life, all of those things, we'll talk about that normal stuff. And so and that is that nice little break from cancer. So suddenly then everybody's not kind of stepping around on eggshells around the cancer all the time and thinking, should I do cancer? Should we not talk about the cancer? And, and so that takes it right out because you have a set time. And so it was something Anita mentioned earlier that around the structure. That Particularly as a, as the children get on the younger younger end, structure there's a real safety in the structure in parenting. So, kids, if they can predict something, it helps them to get through it. So suddenly you're setting a time post to say we will talk about it. And the caveat that I would put on that communication contract is to say, look, even though we have the one time set, if anything comes up for you, you can always ask me. Um, and also, if I get some big news or an update from the doctor or the treatment team. I'll let you know in between. So we have that agreement that we can do that. So if there's anything urgent, we'll address it straight away. Otherwise, it's it's part of the process and the plan that, that we're moving forward. Right. Just quickly, what about a child that's in denial, no matter the age, that just doesn't want to speak about it, doesn't want anyone else to know? Uh, a little bit by the cover your hair, mum, I don't want people knowing or I don't want anyone to look at you. I don't want you to be different, I think. Is that what denial is, and how do you handle that? Yeah, I always say denial's a nice river. That's just a little joke that we have in the Nile River. So that's, <laughs> anyway, that's, I'm a dag, what can I say? Um, but the uh, look, even though they're in denial, it's impacting them. So that's particularly, I hear that a lot in non-communicative adolescents. Um, what... Like, a, we just try to talk about this and they're not even listening or they're not picking up the room or they're not helping me. And in this real frustration that we have, even when you're not sick and your kids are, you know what I mean? They're driving you absolutely up the wall. Um, how do you try to figure out, is this about the cancer or is this just a normal life stage for them? And um, but then how do I make sure they're OK? Because really what the essence of when you're, you feel when. The, what I've learned from parents is when they feel their children are in denial, they're actually so they're so worried about them because they want to know how they're going, and so that's where the communication contract also helps and say, look, I know this isn't fun. Again, acknowledge and normalize to your kids that you know it's not fun and you know it's hard for them, you know it's impacting their life. If you have a, a adolescent child where they're feeling like they want to go out 
they want to go out to movies, they want to go out to the mall, they want to go out drinking if they're over 18, and all of those kind of things. But they're also feeling like, oh, I kind of feel bad to go out and have fun, but mom's sick. And so giving them permission to do that, to say, look, I still want you to go have fun. I still want you to enjoy your friends. I still want you to play sport. I need you to still and get, you know, just live your life. And we'll check in about the cancer. But for that kid who's really resistant to say, but I am, I do want to make a contract with you and I want to pick a time, even though it's going to be hard for you and it's going to be hard for me, let's pick a time where once a week, we just have a quick check-in, even if it's just five minutes, because I love you and I need to find out that you're okay. And normally that works. Normally that really works, even with the most resistance of kids. Anita, how did you kids overall handle the impact that it had on your family yeah. and how are they now? Look, I, th- I think for me it comes down to the awareness of cancer now and it's... It's, it's out there and, and everyone can, it's, you know, the, the awareness is, is so great and so good. And I think for my kids, that helped them in being able to start a conversation, not just with my husband and I, but with their own friendship groups. And I think they took comfort in being able to, to talk to their own friends. Um, you know, my, my son through a friend who had gone through a similar situation and my 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 daughter through her friends at school that they were able to to talk about it and even one school holidays my friend went to a, a, my daughter sorry went to her friend's house and they set up a lemonade stall out the front of the house and just sold lemonade and then when I would pick them up they told me they were going to donate the money to breast cancer like to research cancer research and I think the the, the fantastic awareness that is around cancer now helps the kids to be able to have their own conversations amongst themselves because it's not it's not a taboo subject it's mm. it's something that you know I think they can they can talk about and if you know they needed to come to us they, we know that they they know that they can um, and I'll be open and honest with them where I'm at with um, my journey now is I see my oncologist every three months um, and that um, letter is on the fridge so the kids know that it's coming up we'll we'll talk about it that day they'll ask how it went and everything just goes along fine yeah Great. John though that can that awareness can be a trigger for some though it can so um, in the breast cancer space of all the different types of, of cancers and all the different locations in the body breast cancer has the most presence and so um, maybe even a bus shelter or when you're watching TV, you're watching sport, there's reminders all the time, little reminders. So it's wonderful for awareness and, it's, and it's, it's wonderful for getting the word out there and for women to be breast smart and all of those things. It's such an important ingredient for us. But it also puts an impetus on us in parenting through breast cancer that your kids, just as you are, are reminded a lot just by little subtle things that you see all around, more so than any other type of cancer. Um, And that's something I found in my 20 years or so in working in cancer is that, wow, this is a really unique space for families dealing with breast cancer. And how do you bring that into the discussion? That time out that young people are looking for, how do you help young people to find a way to have time out when they might be going on the bus shelter on their way to on the way to school? There, there's a breast cancer advert, so um, so it could be it's worthwhile to explore that with them. And cantinas 
now launched a wonderful uh, resource for parents to be able to share tips and their concerns. Tell us about that. That's right. It's called um, Parent Connect. So we have a we have a, a Canteen Connect for young people as well. So it's a totally separate space for parents because one of the things that we've learned over the years. So we've always been an organization, you know, for young people and by young people because we even have young people on our board. Um, and which is something that makes the organization really special. Um, and But three years ago, the evidence is compelling enough to try to find a way to help parents. So we've been, parents often come in, like when a young person comes in, particularly if they're under 20, mom or dad normally brings them in, um, at least for the first one or two times to break that ice for them. And so we've always been supporting parents and what the parents are telling us, and when we started asking them to say, look, I really, one, I feel alone. I need to talk to some other parents that get it. Like, what's it like to parent through cancer? And I also want to be able to share strategies on what's worked and what hasn't worked. Um, and so we built the platform. And we've also worked with our social workers and counselors and psychologists and all our teams across the country, as well as our e-services, to try to make it so that when a parent comes in and they're trying to figure out the, the really tricky stuff around communication, the communication issues, and uh, this is just, I think it's important to constantly, I just want to mark here around the communication. So what we find is in the unmet needs surveys for young people, in each of the domains of unmet need, there's um, family relationships and friendship and all of the different domains, um, a predictor of, of unmet need is poor family communication. So that's a thread through each of them. So we know that if we can help parents concentrate on that little piece of the pie, it's only a little piece of the pie, but if we can help to ameliorate the distress around that, because parents, they, they report in the, in the studies, one of my biggest challenge points is figuring out how do I tell my kids about this? So if we can help to take that away, then they can worry about all the other stuff. Um, and so we're just creating an environment for parents to do what parents do, share with each other. Um, and then if you can't quite figure it out and you want to go through it with, with one of our psychologists or counselors or social workers, we have that too. Thank you to John and Anita for being upfront about telling your children you have cancer, an episode made possible with thanks to Dry July. If you would like more information on how to communicate with your children about your cancer diagnosis, Canteen Australia has some fantastic resources and as John just mentioned, there's also the new Parent Connect platform. The opinions of our guests are welcome but not necessarily shared by BCNA. If you have any individual concerns, please contact a health professional. I'm Kelly Curtin. Thanks for being up front with us.